I'm excited to get to teach this morning. I'm sure you, like I, have been really jazzed over, can we go just straight to the Elmo? Let's cut to the, the, the important part of class right now. Bam, we're just going to do it. <coughs> Here it is, the Elmo. The Elmo. There it is. Have you seen the January, February 2020 issue that's just come out on where to retire? I mean, these are undiscovered havens. This is where you can retire happily. I mean, gee, I wonder what makes the cover of this magazine. Becky, did you know? Okay, and with that, let's move to the rest of Christmas. Good morning. It is a delight and an honor to get to teach a Christmas class 2019. Uh, many of you came to the, the caroling we did last Tuesday night at the, the chapel. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And thank you guys for, for coming and being a part of that. We are in the season. Now we're knee deep in a season that's called Advent. How many of you grew up in the Baptist church? Okay, y'all don't know what Advent is. How many of you grew up in the church of Christ? We don't know what Advent is either. How many of you grew up in a Methodist church? Okay, y'all know Advent. Presbyterian? Catholic? Okay, y'all have got Advent down, but many of us don't. We might know the phrase, the word, but that's about it. But we're knee-deep in Advent right now. Now, Advent comes from a Latin word. The Latin word looks to you, if you don't speak Latin, like Adventus. That is not Adventus. Don't say that. People will say you don't know Latin. Latin V's are pronounced like a W. So you would pronounce that Adventus. Okay? So this is Adventus is the Latin word that gives us Advent. When you think of that Latin word, Adventus, or when you think of Advent, think about arrival. Because the, the, the word in its context means something like an arrival that you're, you can be anticipating. It can be even used uh, in, in some context for ripening fruit, as if the fruit's now arriving at the stage where you could eat it. Um, um, it gets translated as a visit that's about to happen. It gets translated as, as approaching a destination. We get the word adventure from it. So Advent is a celebration of an arrival. An arrival that we are anticipating or experiencing. So with that in mind, I ask you the question, during Advent, what arrival, what Adventus are we celebrating? Yes, someone got it right. We are celebrating the arrival, the coming, the approach of Jesus. It's a season that the church has set aside that's four weeks before Christmas Day itself. Christmas Day is Jesus has come. Advent is over on Christmas Eve. But right now we're celebrating Advent. We're celebrating the arrival, the approach of Jesus. How does the church celebrate that? The arrival is celebrated in three different uh, uh, forums, ideas. Advent is a celebration of the arrival of Jesus in three different veins of thought. The first is the, the gimme, the incarnation. The, 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 the Jesus being born in the manger. 
that is a, an obvious celebration of the Advent season. The second one is we celebrate during Advent, during this season, the arrival of Jesus in our lives. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and he who opens the door, I will come in and sup with her or him. And so when we invite Jesus into our lives, or when we did, we recognize that he abides in us, as in John he said he would do. And so as Jesus abides in us, he has arrived in our lives. Our Advent celebrations should not only celebrate the coming of Jesus in the incarnation, but should also celebrate the coming of Jesus in our lives. There's a third way in Advent we celebrate the coming of Jesus. The third way is we celebrate his second coming. Hasn't happened yet, but we know and live in confident expectation that it will happen. That he will come again. The clouds will roll back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. And we who are alive shall meet up with him in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. That assurance is something we also celebrate during this season of Advent. So if right now you have your Advent time filled with getting Christmas gifts, or you have your Advent time going to holiday parties, or you have your Advent time filled with driving around looking at the lights, if right now you have your Advent time filled with trying to get your vacation in or your insurance deductible uh, uh, met <laughs> or end of year financial planning, whatever you're doing at this time of the year, I want to urge and encourage you to do it with three different ideas in mind. The incarnation, the way God works in our lives, and the fact that he will come again. Okay? So with that in mind, I want to look at some traditional scriptures, New Testament passages that deal with Advent and see what lessons we can draw from those passages to supplement our Advent celebrations this year. First, God has a purpose for you. If I could start and, and just go down the row and call you each by name, I would. Because I want each of you to know, deep in your heart and fresh on your mind, God has purpose for you in your life. May not be the purpose you thought it would be. May not be unfolding the way you thought it would unfold. But regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening now or what has happened before, God has purpose for you in your life. This was true in the incarnation. It's true in our lives today. It's true with the second coming. Here's the passage of scripture. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, the, the, this is a reference to the apostle, uh, I mean, to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was born, and his purpose on this earth could be summed up in witnessing to who Jesus was. Jesus was born at a time where the Jewish nation was living in um, fervent expectation of the coming Messiah. Many Jewish rabbis had done some math out of the, the Old Testament book of Daniel. 
and had figured out how to compute when they thought the Messiah should be coming. And there were lots of people who tried to get that title. Now, Messiah is our English word, and I don't know what you think of when you hear Messiah. But Messiah, in English, we take it from a Hebrew word, Mashiach, uh, oh, Mashiach, and I think it usually has a hey at the end. So, Mashiach is, is the Hebrew word. There's a Greek word, but before we get to it, let's be real clear. Do you know what that Hebrew word that we translate Messiah, do you know what it means in Hebrew? It, the direct idea behind that word, whoops, there's only one N in anointed there, is anointed. It's someone who has had, I know what you're thinking. Did he really go to art school? No. It's someone who has had oil. This is the vat of oil. Poured on their head. That person is anointed. Mashiach. That person is Messiah. Now. In Jewish culture and history, they would do this to three types of people. They would do this to um, prophets. So if you were a prophet, you would have oil poured on your head and you would be anointed. A prophet. Samuel. Elijah, Elisha, not only prophets, but also the priests would be anointed to serve as a priest. It would anoint the high priest, pour oil on his head, and that was part of the induction. And then the kings, they would anoint David king. And so a prophet, a priest, and king those are the ones who get anointed. And so within the idea of that, there we go, prophets, priests, and kings are anointed. They knew there was a coming one who was like the king of kings, the prophet of prophets, the, the priest of priests. And lots of folks tried to claim that status. You've probably not heard of any of them. Because they weren't the Messiah. So Messiah is who John came to bear witness to. By the way, the, the, the Greek language has a Greek word for Messiah as well, or anointed. The Greek word for when you poured oil on someone in Greek, do you know what it was? Christos. In English, we just put that into these letters. C-H-R-I-S-T. And then the ending of it is O-S. Christ. Christ is the English for anointed uh, from the Greek letters. Messiah is the English for anointed from the Hebrew letters. So when we speak of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> we're taking that from the Greek. Jesus is Yesu in, in uh, 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 Yesu in, in, in um, Greek. That's Jesus. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yehoshua or Joshua. So understanding all of that, 
John the Baptist is going to come and proclaim that Jesus is the anointed one. All of these, not just a king, not just a prophet, not just a priest. Jesus is all three. He's the ultimate Messiah. He's the ultimate anointed one. And John was sent with the purpose of declaring that so the people would know it. So that's the purpose that God had for John. But John doesn't just, he's not the only one with a purpose. And the Advent understanding of this is that God has a purpose in our lives. That includes a purpose for you. When, when John writes, there was a man from John whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness. He's describing the purpose John the Baptist had. But not because only John the Baptist has a purpose. You have a purpose in this world. I've been talking to people who have some really difficult stuff going on right now. I mean, stuff that's gut-wrenching. And I want to say to them, God has a purpose for you in this world. And you see God in despair. I had this uh, marvelous person come up to me and say, uh, the prodigals returned this morning. And I said, yeah, yeah, my grandson's been through all of this stuff and, and he's just been a prodigal. And, and this morning he's come home. And it just made me think of the story of the prodigal son. And how many parents do I know, good, kind, loving parents whose kids have just gone off the reservation? And I don't mean like, oh gee, I stepped across the line. I mean like off the reservation. And I just want to say, God's got purpose for you in your life. Even in those relationships that are difficult. And we can walk and we can live and we can trust that God is at work in the midst of this. Because I've seen, I have seen God take people who have been living in the pigsty. And not only turn their lives into something that allows God to use them powerfully for his kingdom. But I can tell you I have seen him even recycle the garbage that they've sown into their own lives and let it become something that is useful in their kingdom service. We've just got to wait. That's who he is. And, 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 and I want us to understand that because Everything we do in our lives is part of God's plan. See, we live in a hyper-connected world. We live in a world where the way you treat someone at lunch can change the dynamic and future of human history. You may have someone, you may go out to eat lunch, there may be someone waiting on your table. Maybe they're having a horrendous day. And you say a kind word to them. And it changes, maybe imperceivably, but it changes the way they view the world. And as a result, they make a different decision that can radically change society, change their lives. You know, when you give someone a word of kindness, you give someone help, you give someone hope, you, 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 you share with someone, you extend your heart out to them, you say thank you to them, you find someone who's hurting and you minister to them. You, when I say God has purpose for you, you may say, well, that was John the Baptist, that was a big deal, I'm just a nobody. There's not a nobody. There's no, nobody. You are some body in God's plan. And as a result, he's got something planned for you. And I want you to live with purpose because he is coming again. 
And in anticipation of him coming again, I want to take something home this Christmas. I want to take home this idea that I'm going to live holy. And I'm going to live deliberately, knowing when I live holy and deliberately, I can best fulfill what God's purpose is in my life. Now, having said that, I want to warn you. God's timing fits God's plans. God's timing does not fit my plans. My timing does not fit God's plans. My timing and God's timings don't often uh, fit together perfectly. But God's timing fits God's plans, and that is enough. More than enough. That's what we want. So if we look at this in terms of the Advent, here's the passage that shows the truth of this at the Incarnation. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiyah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were doing it right. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced in years. They were past the childbearing age. It's too late. And, and, and this had to be frustrating for them because they'd done it right. That word, they were righteous. Dikaios in the Greek means uh, they, they were law followers. They, they, were, they were holy. They did what God wanted them to do. And yet, even though they did, they walked blamelessly before God in, in all of His commandments, and all of His statutes. It, it didn't work. They didn't get the child that they most wanted in this world. So, the child comes. John the Baptist is born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. But he's born in God's timing, not theirs. He's got to be born in the right time to be in the womb of Elizabeth when Mary is pregnant with Jesus and Mary comes into Elizabeth's presence and John the Baptist, full of the Holy Spirit from the womb, leaps in his mother's womb, already bearing witness to Jesus before he's even born. Well, that can't happen if she has the baby any time earlier. God's timing is not our timing, but God's timing fits God's plans perfectly. It did in the incarnation, and it does in our lives. And so we can sit there and we can grow frustrated. We can ask ourselves, why are things going so wrong when we're trying so hard before God? Are we perfect? Heavens no. There's not a perfect parent in here. There's not a perfect spouse in here. There's not a perfect child in here. There's not a perfect worker in here. I'm looking at y'all. There's not, except Becky. <laughs> Becky, did you know that your husband would lie about your qualities? She's near perfect. Let me correct that. As close as it comes. And sitting two down from my mom, who's also the near perfect mom. But, 
as good as they are. So, so you can sit there and say, you know, well, maybe I've messed up and that's why everything's gone amok. No, no we all mess up. When you sit there and say, why are things this wrong? Especially when it doesn't seem that we've done anything wrong. I just want to assure you, you got to trust the Lord. You got to trust that he's going to finish what he started. You got to trust what Paul wrote to the Philippians, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. When everything is said and done, it's going to be okay. If it's not okay today, everything's not said and done. Because the promise is an advent. Jesus came in the manger. He comes into my life, but he's also coming again. And God's going to work all of this out to the benefit and glory of his kingdom. We've just got to trust him. And so that's the gift I'm going to take home with me. I'm going to trust God and his timing because he's trustworthy. Now, if then I understand God has purpose... And if then I'm going to trust him within his timing, what do I do in the interim? I need to be serving my God. And I'm going to tell you, amazing things happen when you serve God. And that's an Advent lesson you can underscore. Amazing things happen when you serve God. It happened in the incarnation, it happens in our lives, and it happens in the second coming of Christ. There are ordinary things we do each day. I was telling the, the, the class at Jersey Village this morning, if we go to the Elmo, a lot of people think that there are three different buckets of activities in life. Is that a bucket? That's sort of a bucket. That's maybe a little bit better of a bucket. Let's go for three. Three different buckets in life. Okay, I like the middle one the best. Um, these buckets, we tend to think, this is our tendency. Our tendency in life is to put things into three buckets. There's the sin bucket. That's the tisk tisk don't do this bucket, right? Then there's the holy bucket. Those are the things that we're really, really stoked about. You know, y'all came not just to church, you came to life group. It's pretty incredible. I mean, that's like several hours out of your Sunday. So that's like a double check, triple check pluses, Okay. And then there's this middle bucket, and that's just normal. Not sinful, not holy. You know, this is washing dishes. It's just got to get done. Some of you are saying, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Washing dishes, changing diapers. Now, I want to tell you this is our tendency, but I also want to tell you this is wrong. In the believer's life, everything that we think is just a normal bucket is in the holy bucket if we do it under the Lord. If we don't do it under the Lord, it's in the sin bucket. We're doing it for the wrong reasons. There's not a normal bucket. If you're, a new, if you're a mother or a child care provider or heaven's senior adult provider and you're changing a, a, a diaper, you are doing something holy unto the Lord. You are serving. We worship a Lord who said, I'm going to wash feet because it's a holy thing to do. 
the, the, the normal day-to-day activities. That's where God meets us, lives within us. That's part of being holy and right before Him are doing the common, ordinary, normal things to His glory. And when we do, amazing things happen. So if we go back to the PowerPoint, here's your passage. Now, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, priesthood is set out in the law, in the Torah, but functionally how they picked which priest serves when, they would do two-week stints of service. And where you served, are you, are you at the altar killing the, the, the animals? Are you uh, cleaning up? Are you burning incense? What your role was was determined by lot. They would draw lots for it. So this is during the two-week where Zechariah was serving as a priest before God. That was his job. He's just two weeks on, a few weeks off. So he's on his two weeks on. He gets assigned the tasks of burning incense. So everybody's outside. And he goes in at the right hour into the holy space. Not the holy of holies, but the holy space. He's the only one that goes in there. That's his job to burn the incense. So he's not expecting anything. He's done this before. He'll do this again. It's ordinary work to him. We read it and it's in the Bible and we think, oh, that's so holy. And he's a priest and he's doing holy work. He's at church. And this is his job. This is day in, day out work. And he's supposed to take the incense in and sing the prayers, chant the prayers, and offer the incense before the Lord on behalf of the people while all the people are outside. That's his job. No one's supposed to be in there. Looky, looky. Appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. He's right there. He's th- now something amazing just happened while he was serving the Lord. That doesn't happen. Can you imagine if you're doing the mundane? If your job is to wash dishes at home or a restaurant. And you're standing there washing dishes and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears right next to you. Be kind of like, well, this is a little bit out of the ordinary. That's not even like a once in a month occurrence. I got to tell you, I'm 59. I've never knowingly stood next to an angel Oh, our pastor 20 years ago said, 25 years ago, said his wife was an angel. I said, are you serious? He says, I'm serious. I said, really? He says, yeah. I said, what makes you think that? He said, well, she's always up in the air harping about something. (laughs) Other than that. (laughs) I just thought, oh my goodness. Uh, other than that, I, I mean, this is pretty bizarro, but amazing things happened. That's true back at the incarnation, but it's also true in our lives. I want to tell you, I've seen amazing things happen in my life. Not an angel, but things no less amazing. I've seen God meet needs at the precise moment those needs needed to be met. I've seen God supply things that I never dreamed he'd supply. I'd see God, I've seen God redeem things that were beyond redemption. I've seen God do things that truly are amazing on a cosmic scale. And I'm left with a couple of choices. I can say, I stand amazed in the presence of God and he does amazing things. Or I can say, wow, talk about luck. Or, perhaps worst of all, I can say, 
<clears throat> Look what I did. And try to take credit for something that God has done. I can tell you personally, and if you've walked with God for long, you've got your own statements. But you've also got those temptations that go with it. The ones that just say, maybe it was just coincidence. The ones that say, you know, well, sort of, I had something to do with that. When we all need to say, amazing things happen when we serve our God. And that's our Advent lesson. And it's very important as we look at the second coming and the, the Advent of that. Because between now and then, which itself is going to be an amazing occurrence, I'm going to serve God. And I'm going to watch for the amazing. Because He will come again. He's not through working amazing. So let's be ready for it. And so here we've got, we're called for a purpose. God has purpose in our lives, every one of us. And his timing is his timing. So we can live daily trusting him with what's happening. And we can do what we do knowing that he will bring amazing into the life of mundane. And while we're doing that, we need to do it with prayer because prayer changes things. During this Advent season, I want us to see prayer change things at the incarnation. Prayer changes things in our lives. And prayer changes things for the world to come. In the incarnation, prayer. Here's the passage from Luke. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. You're going to call his name John. Your prayer has been heard? The prayer of Zechariah had something to do with John the Baptist being born? I mean, wasn't God going to send him anyway? Scripture is clear. The prayer of John the Baptist, his father, Zechariah, his prayers were heard by God. And God did what God did as the prayers engaged the will of God on this earth. Prayer changed things at the incarnation. Prayer changes things in our lives. It's why it means so much to me when I get emails from so many of y'all saying, I'm praying for you. I want to tell you, I exist because of the prayers of my family and friends. I, I, I'm absolutely convinced anything of merit, worth, or regard in my life the fact I even stand here is because so many people have prayed on our behalf. And I'm deeply grateful. And I hope when Brent sends those prayer requests of our class around that none of us delete them without praying for them. I, there, there is power in prayer. Prayer changed things in the incarnation. It changes things in our lives. It changes things for the second coming. Jesus tells us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray that God will increase the laborers to go into the field of harvest. I got a dear brother in this class who's going to have to have knee surgery. He spends so much time on his knees in prayer. And bless his heart. Oh, I feel bad for him. God just keeps allowing all of these horribly difficult circumstances to enter into his field of vision. Why? I can't answer all the whys, but I can say one reason. Is because this guy's a prayer warrior. And if they happen in this guy's life, it's going to get bathed in prayer. It's going to be prayed all up and down. 
And prayer engages God. So this is part of, of, of how I live in anticipation. I'm going to pray and I'm going to watch for the amazing. Now here's the problem. Sometimes we're not all that bright. I mean, we love to read the Sherlock Holmes. All right, well, maybe nobody in here other than me loves to read the Sherlock Holmes. I've read them all. Everything Arthur Conan Doyle wrote about Sherlock Holmes, I've read it. I love that stuff. I love mysteries. I love trying to figure that stuff out. And one reason why is because we're not so bright all the time. That was true in the incarnation. It's true in our lives. <laughs> and it's true as we look to the future. In the incarnation, look at this. Here's Zechariah. He says to the angel, um, how am I going to know this? You understand what he's just done. He has gone in to serve in his normal job. And for the first time in his entire life, he meets the angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Angel Gabriel. Who went to Daniel and explained dreams, angel Gabriel. He visibly sees and meets and audibly hears the angel Gabriel in the holy place by the altar of incense. Gabriel knows Zachariah's name. He knows the name of his wife. He knows the prayers of their heart. He knows, I mean, he's had miracle after miracle after miracle. And when Zechariah delivers a message, they're going to have a son. He says, um, can I have a sign? <laughs> That's my thought. That fellow laughing back there. That's it. I'm like, idiot. You just got miracle after miracle after miracle. And you want, That's like Noah coming out of the ark. And God saying, hey, uh, I promise we're going to give you offspring and we're going to, you know, your, your people will populate the earth and everything. And Noah says, could you give me a sign? I mean, you just went through the flood. It's like, it's, it would be like seeing the resurrected Jesus. And he says, okay, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And these signs will accompany those who... who who hear you and, and believe and receive. You say, God, can you give me a sign? I mean, you're standing there with the risen Messiah and you're asking for another sign. This is just absurd to me. He asked God, he asked angel, he says, how will I know this? You know, I don't know if it's occurred to you or not, but I'm an old guy. My wife, she's an old lady. And the angel said, I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. God sent me to talk to you. To tell you this great news. And you want a sign. That God's going to do what he said. Okay, hot shot. Here's your sign. You're not going to be able to talk anymore until it happens. Nanner, nanner, nanner. Have a good day. Not too bright then, but I got to tell you, we're not too bright in our lives. Things get jumbly in my brain sometimes. I'd love for things to be nice and orderly. I'd love to say, yes, this is what God's done before and this is what God will do now. But sometimes I'm like, well, how do I really know he's going to come through this time? Well, what if he doesn't? What if that all things works together for good applies to everyone in the world but me? When he's done this in our lives already, we can live confident that he's coming again to make things right and everything's working out in order for that to happen. Sometimes that might mean we suffer. Sometimes that might mean we go through hard times. Sometimes that might mean God's timing's not our timing. But that's okay because it's all going to work out in the end to the glory of His kingdom of which we are a part. So we can live with that, never doubting the love and the care and the provision of God. 
And I'll go a step further. Even in the midst of misery, we need to know God has joy for you. That was true in the incarnation. It's true in our lives and it's true for the second coming. Incarnation. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, that Greek word comes from the Greek word for joy. O favored one comes from the Greek word for joy. Take joy. Greetings. The Lord, O oh, oh, joyful one, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. She's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I don't think it was a joyful part. I think it's the Lord is with you. Angel shows up to tell you that. Well, we can handle that a little bit better at our age with this revelation we've got. But Mary was kind of stunned. She wasn't really expecting it. She's probably 12 or 13 years old. Um, so she's a little bit stunned, but that joy was there. She was the joyful one, and boy, she was soon rejoicing as she understood. With understanding, we, un we walk better in the joy. But even before the understanding's there, we can have the joy. That's why Paul could write to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I'll tell you rejoice. The Lord is near. He's writing that from a Roman prison cell. But it was true in the incarnation and it's true in our lives today. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I'll say it rejoice. And we can do that because we know at the end Jesus is coming again. We have that confident expectation. And that's the beauty of the song, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive its king. That song was written about the second coming, not Christmas. But it's an Advent song about the second coming that we can also sing about the first coming. It comes from Psalm 98. One more devotional. I want to talk about fear. Because in spite of all of this, there are still many people who are fearful of what life has in front of them. It's that gnawing pit in their stomach. And there was fear at the incarnation. There's fear in our lives. And there's fear about the second coming. But we can wash it away. Because the angel said to Mary, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive in your womb. You're going to bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Don't be afraid at the incarnation. You and I should smash fear in our lives. Fear is defeated by faith. We trust in the Lord. And if we trust in the Lord, whatever we face, we know we don't face it alone. We know God will provide the answers. We know weeping may last for a night, it may last for a week, it may last for a month. The prodigal son may be gone living in a pigsty for years, decades. But we can trust God and stand firm in our faith as we continue to serve and we continue to pray. And we continue to do what we know is right. Because as we grow in our faith, we can grow in confidence that God is at work. All of those lessons are lessons wrapped up in the Advent. The Advent should help us put things into perspective so we see things more clearly. 
as we look at the incarnation, as we see our lives, as we contemplate the second coming, we should do it with the better perspective that we've got. Where we, like Mary, can say, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So we serve, we live, we pray, we rest in faith. And we take that expectation that we have of God following our plans and we just cut it loose. There, cut it loose. Somewhere there, cut it loose. <laughs> we just let it go. <laughs> because, yeah, thanks. I worked really hard on that. Because it's not about me. It's about Him. So as we're knee-deep in Advent and we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, not only in the incarnation, but in our lives and where He'll come again, then we got a Christmas lesson we can lean on. So Merry Christmas. Don't forget your books. Let me bless you in the name of Jesus. And I'm sorry I can't talk to you all after class. If we hurry, we get to have dinner with our son and, and daughter-in-law and granddaughter in D.C. tonight. So we're going to hustle out, not because I don't love you, but because, I, bye. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will you bless all who hear this message? Will you work amazing things in our lives? May we give you credit and glory. May all of the fears and all of the, the doubts and all of the concerns we've got be bathed in faith that you give us. Recount for us the ways you've come to our rescue. Show us how to walk in the mundane and every day, letting you do the amazing. As we live and pray and work in faith, trusting in you our Lord and our Savior, who redeemed us. By the blood of Jesus, we proclaim amen. Amen.